This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by the Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear the pretenders on the stereo. But nowadays, it's almost impossible to find that authentic arcade experience. But don't get me wrong, there's still one place you can go. The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. Way to be Mike McGinnis. And you're listening to the No Quarter Podcast. <laughs> I'm messing with you, man. <laughs> Aw. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I thought I'd shake things up with our intro. You did a good job, sir. I'm, con- I'm thoroughly confused. I'm a crazy maverick that way, man. Crazy maverick. But I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. What's sure on with, what's with tomorrow night? Tomorrow night, I am going to a showing of The Goonies on the big screen. So exciting. That is awesome, dude. I've never seen The Goonies before. You are a fool. I know, but I don't want to be a fool any longer, so I'm going to go. And it's not just any showing of The Goonies. It's The Goonies quote along at the Alamo Draft House down the street from me. I don't know what that means. Well, it means that everybody is everybody else, I assume, that's going has seen this film a million times and knows all the lines. They're going to have subtitles for the, the especially quotable lines, and everybody's going to shout them along. So it's going to be sort of like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I guess. Cool. So you're, this is a time when they're, they're encouraging you to talk during the movie. Yes, exactly. And this is the first time you've seen the film. I've I've seen you know bits and pieces of the truffle shuffle and stuff like that, but I've never I've never seen more than thirty contiguous seconds of the show. Pinchers of Peril, baby! You will be introduced to the Pinchers of Peril. I love that movie. Love it. Can't wait! Can't wait! How was your week? My week's fantastic. My week's boring compared to yours with with your cleansing and your truffle shuffling. Your week is always fantastic, though. <laughs> My week is. I'm live. I'm living the life of Carrington, as it's they call not it. Fair. <laughs> It's no, not fair. No, things are amazing. Work's going great. Social stuff's going great. I'm a happy guy, and we're podcasting. Life is, life is awesome. So shall we? Shall we jump in? Shall we do some feedback? We, we have been given feeds back. Let's get to that. Actually, I, I want to do a couple of news items. First. Ooh, there's newses? There's a couple of them. Uh, MAGFest 12 happened last weekend, which is a, the music and gaming festival, and the 12 refers to the, this is the 12th iteration, not the year that it happened. Plenty of pictures of that. That specific event and, and the arcade setup they have all at K-Law. There's a few threads on it, and they have a Facebook page, so I recommend you check that out. Nice. And it looks like it's the end of the road for Twin Galaxies. I heard rumors. I heard a rumor, as Bananarama says. Yeah, it's kind of a sad situation, I guess. This all sort of happened about a month ago, and I really haven't had time to track it down too much. But I went there again today. Uh, hoping to find the high score for today's game, and instead of a web page, it, it just redirects to a GoDaddy parked web page. And so, a little, a little quick googling, and I, and I don't obviously know the particulars, and I'm sure that nobody except the people who are directly involved actually do. But it, it seems that Richie Knuckles had a falling out with uh, the One Up. He made sort of a nebulous post that said that on the day following the Kong Off 3, somebody called him and informed him that he was no longer involved with Twin Galaxies. 
the long and short of it is that Twin Galaxies is apparently no more. The next Kong-Off will be held back in New Jersey at Ricky Knuckles, uh, Richie Knuckles' place. So uh, it seems like a kind of a sad thing. Well, that is a shame. Do you think maybe it's because you met these guys at the Kong-Off and this is in some way your fault? I'm sure it is. Yeah. I was thinking it probably was. I'm so important <laughs> in these people's lives that, that just my mere presence can, can bring about the destruction of entire business enterprises. Way to spin that, dude. Nice. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nicely so, done. Your judo is magnificent. <laughs> yes. So there's a, a 30-page or so thread, like I said, at Kalov, and we'll have a link to it. And there's the first few posts kind of talk a little bit about the details, not too much. Like I said, I don't think anybody knows. And then, of course, it becomes a Kalov post of name-calling and flaming, but kind of sad to hear that because Walter Day's thing has been around basically for a long, long time. Forever. And, yeah. Major institution in arcadeness. Totally. Now it seems to be gone and uh, there's no reference to Twin Galaxies anymore on the OneUp's webpage. So I, that's kind of sad. Mm, I agree. You know what? I agree. Sad times. But we didn't have sad times this week. We got feedback. We got some awesome feedback. That's going to cheer us up, I hope. We did. We did. We got a good note on Facebook. Uh, Mark Kirby posted what he calls an interesting story about a Robotron fan disassembling the the ROM, fixing some bugs, and, as he says, presenting them back to Larry DeMar and Eugene Jarvis. It's called Christian, I think he'd be pronounced Jingris, the man who fixed Robotron. It's a long article, and it's fascinating it is such an amazing read so i'll make sure the link is in our show notes as well but if you are on facebook and and visit our facebook page you will see the link right there for mark and click on that and it's a great read we haven't talked about robotron yet i'm going to keep this it's got lots of info that i'm going to want to bring up when we do talk about robotron someday in the future because this is um just a great great article and dives deep into the the rom disassembly and sort of the results of that and it's the whole thing's amazing Awesome. Yeah, yeah, really, really highly, highly recommended link. Uh, we did have an interesting piece of email, Karen. Mm-hmm. It was directed <laughs> to both of us, but... <laughs> I know which one you're talking about. This is more to you than me. It's the best email ever. <laughs> <laughs> we got a note from Keith Smith, and if you uh, don't recognize that name... He's the writer that uh, Carrington savaged a couple of uh, episodes back. Saying, I don't think uh, I did. Saying that something that he wrote uh, doesn't exist. I wasn't we, on that episode. We called him a liar, a sham, and a fraud. Just to try to get him on the show, man. Just to try to get him on the show. He's been listening to our back episodes. Yay for us. And then he <laughs> says, uh, this was back when we did Mad Planets. He says, I, I was pleasantly surprised to hear you mention an article I wrote several years back on Gottlieb Video Games for Game Room Magazine. Alas, it wasn't to last before I even had time to enjoy it, one of you fellers, I think it was that rude Canadian guy, it was, Keith, it was, called me a liar, a sham, a fraud. In my article, I mentioned <laughs> another article from April 1983, issue of Video Games magazine, in which Qbert designers were referred to as designer Jay Walkman and Artiste. What a shock when I heard y'all say that the article didn't actually exist, that I made it all up. Oh, really? <laughs> a liar am I? Article doesn't exist. A, well, try the attached PDF on for size, Mr. Smarty Pants. It's from the April 1983 issue of Video Games, just like I said. And if you want to read the original, which is actually pretty good, you can download the PDFs, and he gives us a link that we'll have in our uh, show notes. Uh, he says, seriously, though, I love the podcast. He also included a link 
to an interview or to a story about the guy who designed the controller, which eventually became the Tron controller. So we'll be sure to include that as well. Carrington, please respond <laughs> to Mr. Smith. I don't think he actually wrote that email. Oh, he's lying about that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the attachments, actually, he's totally really, but my defense would be this. One of the attachments he sent was actually just a Word document. So there's a chance he just typed that now. <laughs> I'm going to keep it up, Keith. You can't stop me. Can't stop me from slandering you on my podcast. That was the best email ever. He threw down the gauntlet. You picked it up and threw it right back down in front of him. <laughs> I picked it up and slapped myself with it. <laughs> no, it was fantastic. So we'll make sure we have all links to all of that in the show notes. That was probably my favorite email that we've received to date. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. <laughs> We also got other stuff. We had a uh, fellow named Kevin. He wrote in to say how much he's been enjoying our podcast. Mm -hmm. He says he recently discovered the show and has been working his way through the episodes. And he mostly wrote to suggest some games for us to review later, including Discs of Tron and Sorry Charlie. So we'll add those both to the list. And uh, Derek, who's here in Canada. Yay, go Canada. But he's on uh, the other side of Canada than me. He sent us an email saying... Thanks for reminding me about so many great games and introducing me to a couple of new ones. I have to say I disagree with you guys about Scramble, though. I used to love that game as a kid, and it was one of my go-to games at the local arcade. Playing it again now in MAME, I have to agree it's a little repetitive, but I still haven't beaten it, so I keep coming back for the challenge. Uh, at the bottom, he also recommended a couple of games for us to add, including Miss Pac-Man, iRobot, and Paperboy. So we'll add those to our list of forthcoming things, too. Excellent. Mm -hmm. We did have a few comments on last week's game, uh, Guzzler, which is a, another uncommon title that a few people have not heard of. Uh, Vic Sage, for example, he said, that's it. That's the last straw. Apparently the cherished arcade of my youth was a sham. We didn't have <laughs> half the games on your podcast. And you know what the thing is? I hadn't played half the games before <laughs> we reviewed them now. A lot of these are new to me, too. Yeah, me, too. Yeah. That's part of the fun of it. Like Mike and I have talked both on the show and off air many times but how doing this has introduced a bunch of games to us that we had never played before and that's been one of the best experiences of doing this podcast i love playing a game i've never played particularly when it's one that turns out that i really enjoy it last week for instance with guzzler i loved that game and i ne probably never would have played it without this podcast the thing is even the stuff that i don't like as much such as last week's game <laughs> i i enjoy the experience of playing something that I've never played before and then getting to decide, well, you know, I like, the, I love this and I'm going to keep playing it or, or I don't like it and moving on to another game. And speaking of moving on to another game, mm -hmm. a vintage volts wrote in again with another one of his, his witty rhymes. This is the Gorfian empire, which comes down to earth to rain fire with five waves to play, I don't mind repeating all day until Space Avenger rank I acquire. I love the poems. I love what he guesses in poem. And he is correct. That is indeed this week's game, which is Gorf. Yes, the Galactic Orbiting Robot Force. A 1981 or frog. Game. Backward. <laughs> a 1981 game from, from uh, Midway. Ah, yes, we haven't done a Midway game in a while. This is sort of an interesting one. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know how unique it is because it's mostly a combination of other games. It's amazingly unique. You take that back. <laughs> I take it back. I don't mean it, but I take it back. Good. You're right. It is. There's five stages you go through and they're fairly uh, familiar stages. I'll give you that. So it's basically what Galaxian and... Well, Space Invaders. So you kind of start space off with Invaders. Space Invaders, but with a different sort of shield. Mm -hmm. The Space Warp game... 
I don't know what that would be like. There's lots of tunnel sort of games. Well, anyway, there's five levels to this. So you start with Astro Battles, which is essentially the first level that you're going to play is Space Invaders. It's a different number of invaders, but it's clearly Space Invaders. Like, So if you know what Space Invaders is, you know what this game is. The big difference is instead of being individual little pylon shields that you can break through, this is one big arcing shield. But you still do the same thing with that when you shoot your shield, you get rid of bits of it. And it's... um. It's awesome. It's fantastic. I love it. And you can shoot like the the robots that are or the aliens that are after you get distributed by that big Gorfian robot and you can shoot him. So it already adds something Space Invaders <laughs> didn't have where you can shoot the big bad guy right away and get a bunch of points and then it distributes them quicker. And I love that aspect. Well, and even if you don't shoot the, the, the dropship or whatever you want to call it, while the aliens are being lined up before they're active and attacking you, you can shoot at them and take them out. Yes, you can. And, and you really want to do that because uh, I'd forgotten how difficult Galaxian can be, uh, especially with, they've sort of, they've added the mechanic of in, I believe in, in the original Galaxian, when you hit the fire button, you, you have like what, two shots on the screen at, at a time. And it doesn't matter how many times after that you hit the fire button, the shots just keep going until they're off the screen or they hit something. And this one, the shot disappears as soon as you hit the fire button again. So if you get jumpy, all of your shots will sort of disappear right in front of you before they get to your target. And that's... Mm -hmm. You have to let your shot get to its target first. Now, there's some advantage. If you do shoot and you miss, you can sort of recall your shot and shoot again if you know the bullet's already gone past the bad guys. But I spend a lot of time in Gorf shooting again too quickly and sort of invalidating my shot before. So it's the rhythm you have to get into when you're playing this game. Yeah, that was a frustrating thing for me at first was getting around and, and learning that I, I need to let the shot go all the way up before I, before I fire again, uh, especially when they when the, the invaders get lower and lower because as they pick as they come down, they pick up speed, of course, but because their shots at you don't have as much distance to cover, you don't have nearly as much time to get out of the way. So by the time they get closer to the bottom, you can easily go from three ships to zero in, in a couple of seconds. There was a number of times where I ended up dying on essentially this first level. It would be later in the game because you come back to this level. But it's remarkable how often I would die on what is supposed to be the easiest level. Assuming that you finished that, and I found that maybe this is a wrong thing or I don't know, but you didn't always have to wipe all the invaders off the screen to, to advance. Oh. If they blew you up and you had like, you know, two sh if you had extra ships enough to, to not, for your, for your game not to be over you didn't have to necessarily destroy the last one or two. The game would just move you on to the next phase. Which oh, is... interesting. I don't think that ever happened to me, or at least not that I noticed. So, And the next phase is laser attack, which is sort of... It reminded me a lot of Galaga, where the ships kind of bomb their way down at you. Yeah, and because the, the, there's those couple of ships that have that main laser, and so they're moving around in a formation. So it's got that Galaga-ness to it. Absolutely. And I found that to be the most difficult phase of all for me, just avoiding that stuff. Stage three is Galaxians. Carrington, tell me about Galaxians. Well, remarkably, Galaxians is essentially the game Galaxian. <laughs> so they're no longer trying to hide the fact that some of this is borrowed from other games. They're going to use the actual title. And so it's essentially, it's the game Galaxian. <laughs> like it's exactly that game. The little guys dive bomb you, you shoot them. You've enjoyed Space Invaders. Let's enjoy some Galaxian. It's awesome. This is another level that gets crazily fast and crazily frantic once you've wrapped around the levels a few times. So once you're back here, say the third time through, 
it's unlike Galaxian, which will throw one or two guys, maybe three guys dive bombing at a time. Here, sometimes they're all coming down and they all get to have three shots on screen at once. So occasionally this will get incredibly frantic and I'm firing away with my little missile. It's disappearing all the time. And so I found that this was the most difficult level for me. Each time I would come back around, this is the one I would struggle the most. It would be like snowing bombs at you and I'm trying <laughs> to avoid them. Got crazy, crazy difficult. And once you, once you finish that level, you enter into space warp to warp to the flagship. But before you get to the flagship, you have to fight more enemy on the way there. And this time they're spinning around in a big circle. So mm -hmm. there's this little circle off in the distance, all these dots, and those are the bad guys. And one at a time, they will sort of pop into existence as a ship and then spin around. They shoot at you and they'll do a few... It's sort of like a spiral, actually. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and faster and faster until they go off the screen. And here's a chance to, you know, basically rack up the points if you can shoot these guys, if you can get them. I found the only way I could ever shoot somebody is when they were small and near the middle because you had a, sort of a smaller target that they could be in, more likely hit them. Once they got to the outside, they're moving so quick, I'm just trying to avoid them. So I spent a lot of this level basically trying to avoid dying rather than trying to actually get a bunch of shots in. And that finally takes you to the flagship. Oh, yes, which is basically like a big Star Trek type ship, you've kind of now reversed positions. In the, in the first level, you're at the bottom of the screen and you've got this arcing screen. And now it's one big bad guy at the top of the screen. And he's got that same sort of arcing shield that you now have to shoot through to hit the big bad guy, who again, kind of looks like a upside down Star Trek Enterprise character, sort of. And uh, you have to shoot into its belly. And so you, you pick away at the shield and you also have to pick away at the bad guy himself until you can punch a hole, get your shot into the middle that he blows up and there's lines of stars everywhere. And then everything starts again, but you increase in rank. Um, which is awesome. So you start as a space cadet, and <laughs> of course, and then as you uh, do better and better, you move on to increasing ranks, which I, I love that. I love that. So you become a space captain is the, is the second rank. And that whole mechanic of it gets faster, but you're also promoted is awesome. Yeah, and I like the graphic that they have down in the corner, uh, the lower right, where as you advance, each rank lights up. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not just a, hey, you're done, let's make it harder. They, they kind of dress it up a little bit now. I don't know if there's a kill screen or if this just goes on and on forever. <laughs> I wouldn't know that either. <laughs> it gets very difficult and crazy very quickly. Yes, I never made it to the highest rank. I'll, I'll give a bit of a spoiler there to say, <laughs> with the very least, I can tell you now, I never came close to becoming the highest. So you go through from Space Cadet to Space Captain, and then Space Colonel, then Space General, then Space Warrior, and then finally Space uh, finally space Avenger. I think the big question is, what about Space Cowboy? Like, what, what Mike, if I am, as they say, the gangster of love, then oh, how do I get the rank of Space Cowboy? I think that's a secret level. Oh, have okay. To find it, yeah. I have to enter my name as Maurice. That's right. Backwards. <laughs> three times. <laughs> and then finally, I will learn what the word pompatus means. <laughs> and every, the uh, secrets of the universe will be unlocked for me. It'll be awesome. I like that graphic too, though. You're talking about how the, like, it lights up to tell you what your space rank is. And I also found it really funny that you're not like a captain. No, you're a space captain. And you're a space colonel and this is your space rank and it's just so funny that just the word space in front of everything and i think that's fantastic and that's actually on the um the bezel around the monitor so instead of being actually part of the the screen i mean it shows up when you're when we're playing in name obviously it's part of the graphic but that's actually just on the screen and has light bulbs behind it that light up 
linked to the game. So I really, I really dig that. We'll get into more about the cabinet later, but I really dig that aspect of the cabinet. If you want to see that, you got to make sure that you install the correct bezel artwork into MAME or you just get the play field. And this is a game also that, that requires samples. So you'll need to download the samples file if you want, because it has synthesized speech. If you're going to play in MAME, download the samples. Mm. It adds a ton to the game. It's probably why the game is famous, really, is for that amazing speech that is awesome in its 80s synthesizedness. And I love it, love it, love it, even though, to be honest, I usually can't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were there were a few phrases that I didn't understand at all. Some of them are, are the taunting when you die and things like that. that... Ha, ha, ha. As I said, uh, Gorf was released in 1981 by, by Bally Midway, but it was designed by Dave Nutting Associates, specifically Dave Nutting himself and Jay Fenton designed it. Right, who has since uh, changed her name, went through uh, gender re re reassignment surgery and is now um, Jamie. It is interesting that, as you said, Carrington, the, the third level, I guess, was so close to Galaxian that, that, that Namco was offended and forbid Bally Midway, who still, I guess, held the held the Galaxian distribution license. Uh, but Namco said that that's too close and, and they were not allowed to use it on any of their home conversions. So most of the, I guess, the conversions all contain only four stages. I'm not surprised. Too, it's not too close. It's exactly a ripoff. I mean, I'm loving this game, but absolutely. Same name, same everything. It's, it's absolutely, hey, let's just take that other game and put it in this game. Yeah, my initial response is, oh, God, they were so lazy and just threw together other games. But I like it so much that I don't care. Exactly. It, it yep. works. It works. It all comes together really well. I played this game for less than 10 minutes this week because just my schedule didn't allow me to. Basically, all I got was enough time to record some sound samples for this show and, and the previous one. Uh, and so I'm disappointed that I didn't get to play more, but I will be. Uh, this this is moving up the list of my top 10 chart quickly. It's, I think, probably at number 15, closing in on number 14. So. <laughs> okay, excellent. Coming up next, number 15 with a bullet. It was already in my top 10. This, I will tell everybody now, has always been one of my all-time favorite arcade games. This, I guess, is where they get, they get to get away with calling me a casual gamer as opposed to hardcore. I don't remember ever seeing or playing Gorf growing up. I, of course, have seen it mentioned in social, in, in culture and media and things like that, but I had never touched Gorf until we decided to play last week. So I actually have like 10 minutes of experience on Gorf and I'm looking forward to, to really, really expanding that. That's crazy. Man. I know, isn't like, it? Because this isn't an obscure game. Like you say, it's in, no. it's in culture all the time. It was in a bunch of movies. I, I know it's in at least Fast Times at Richmond High and uh, like a lot of arcade games, it's in joysticks. But I think it's probably in other films too and, and just like it's, you know, one of, one of the, the famous games, I guess. Mostly because of this speech. I think none of the arcades that I frequented had this game. I'm pretty sure I would have remembered this, and I just don't. Uh, there is an official storyline that goes, The evil Gorfian robotic empire has attacked. Your assignment is to repel the invasion and launch a counterattack. You will engage various hostile spacecraft as you journey towards a dramatic confrontation with the enemy flagship. And it is a fun ride. Uh, the, the few minutes that I played got me completely and totally addicted. So. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. It's the speech. Like for me, so many, so many great lines, like the ones I can understand. I love what he's saying, like, I am the Gorfian consciousness and the way he laughs at you and stuff. And, <laughs> and I like how too bad, Captain, like if you die and, and a lot of times like what's said matches your rank. So it, mm -hmm. it, won't, it won't just say like there's one time where he says bad move. I get that one all the time. Like when, he, when I get shot, it'll like bad move, but it'll say bad move cadet 
or bad move captain or whatever. And so I, I love that. I love that, that he laughs. I like the way the Gorf voice will taunt you also when you die. It'll be like, try again, I devour coins. <laughs> like, it just motivates me to put another coin in the Gorf. I love the controller. We've talked about how this has a, I think we talked about how it's, it's got a flight stick controller, so the Tron type controller. I love the game. I love the graphics. I love how amazingly vibrant the colors are. Like they're crazy burn. In fact, it kind of reminded me we played a game a while ago where I said, for some reason, this game reminds me of Scramble, even though it wasn't, the game itself was nothing like Scramble, but just something that it had like a flavor to it. Same thing here. This game kind of has the flavor of Wizard of War that has that really electric kind of colors to it and this with the speech coming in. So it's got a Wizard of Warness to it, I think. But I just, I love this game. Gorf is a game that without attention to detail and the right polish and, and sort of the right design decisions could easily have gone very badly because really, as we said, it's nothing more than a compilation of other games that have been kind of sewn together, but they've done it so well and they did it with just the right touches that it all comes together and it's, it's perfect and it becomes more than just the collection of what it used to be. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Gorf features a Z80 CPU at 1.789772 megahertz, stereo sound, two Astrocade chips, also at 1.789772 provide the sound processing. It's a 352 by 240 vertical screen at 60 hertz. It's an alternating two-player. Carrington, is there anything interesting about the cabinet? There is everything interesting about this cabinet. This is one of the great iconic cabinets. Like, I love this cabinet. And while it's a game that plays perfectly great in MAME, I played it this week using joystick. I played it on a controller and I played it in keyboard. I played the heck out of this game because it's awesome. And it plays great, like it plays fantastically with all those control schemes. But the cabinet itself is amazing. It's got a very unique shape. It's kind of hard to describe, but it's a, it's a very thick, bulky from the side. It doesn't lean back at all. The silhouette is just like a Tron silhouette, but the side panels are cut out and stuck on. It's I don't know. I'm painting your word picture and I'm painting it poorly, but like, what's, what's awesome about it is it has this amazing... Uh, metallic control panel and so sticking up from the middle is the the controller there's no separate buttons we we talked about how this is one of the when we were making the list of one-handed games games you can play one-handed this is one of those because you got that that flight yoke with the with the trigger so that's basically how that's all that's on the uh, control panel other than the the buttons for start one and two player but the instructions are printed directly on the control panel. Like it's, it's made of metal and they're printed right on the metal. So it's also something that often has to be replaced because it wears out, it gets scratched off. So it's, it's different sort of materials used. It's got this amazing bezel around the monitor. Like we said, it's got those little square, gra- it's got sort of printed graphics all around it, but it's got those little squares that say what rank you are. And there's lights behind those that light up and that link to the game and say you're currently a space cadet or what have you. And that's something else that often burns out it can be difficult to find one of these machines in in perfect working order it's got this glow in the the flight yoke itself it has this this red and black pattern at the front of it and in that article that we talked about in feedback with the fellow that designed the control grip for tron george something george george (laughs) so he uh he was the guy who designed the tron cabinet and it's not a coincidence that this cabinet has this sort of the same shape as Tron because he based the Tron cabinet on this. He, they had done this earlier. He wasn't the designer of the cabinet. It was actually designed by Dave Nutting. But when George, whose name I can't remember, I'm so sorry, George, he had this, the Gorf cabinet around when he then designed the Tron cabinet. And he, that same guy was the guy who designed the flight controller. And so if you know that shape, 
that kind of plastic flight yoke shape that's used in Tron. It really is almost the exact same controller here in Gorf. And he said in this, this interview that we've linked to, if you look really closely at those, that red and black plastic insert on the flight stick, you can actually find his name hidden in those pixels, which I oh, never cool. knew. So the next time I'm on Gorf, <laughs> I'm going to stare at that. Or if you're at an arcade listening to this, like at our sponsor's place, for instance, run over to the Gorf and look at that and see if you can spot his name. So I'm dying to see um, how easy that is to spot. So that's really cool. So it's got the eight-way flight stick controller. It's got that cool metal control panel. It's got the glowing stuff that tells you about the rank. It's got a great shape. It's got cool-looking side art. I mean, it's all amazing. It came in three different versions. There's the upright I just talked about, which is one of my all-time favorite cabinets. My gosh, I'd love to have one of these. It came in a cocktail and also came in a cabaret version, which is called a mini mite, M-Y-T-E. We haven't talked about those before, but the mini mites are essentially kind of stripped down economy cocktail cabinets. So they're, or sorry, cabarets. So they're smaller than the originals. They got the plain wood paneling around them rather than lots of side art. And they're just generally smaller and were sort of less expensive. The point of them were to fit in places you couldn't fit a big, like Gorf is a big cabinet and a lot of bars and things wouldn't want something that large, but you do have space for a cabaret. So these were designed to be less expensive and to fit in places that big cabinets couldn't. And there's lots of different games that came out as mini mites. And I think this is the first one we've actually talked about. So I wanted to bring that up. Anyway, the cabinet's awesome. It's beautiful looking and it matches the game great. It adds a lot, I think, to the gameplay and I totally adore it. Is this an easy one to find if you're a collector? Yeah, you know what it is? It can be difficult to find them cheap, and it can be difficult to find them working. A lot of times you have to replace the control panel because it's all been scratched off, but it's easy to get replicas of those. There's, they've been put out, so you can just buy essentially a, either a junked one or you can get one that's been made recently. And they're not super rare, but they can go for a lot of money if they're in good shape. Like if you pick one up and those lights are working on the side and the control panel's in good shape, you can spend $1,000 on these. You can go bonkers. But generally, you're going to get it in the, in the you know, four to 600 range for one in decent shape. And it isn't ridiculously hard to fix those lights behind the marquee. So if that's the only thing that's not working, that's usually a fixable thing. Gorf is a cabinet that I think I would want if I were in the market for another video game. Which is interesting because there's nothing about it We've often talked about how, in a sense, the cabinets you really want to get are the ones that have a weird controller. You want like road blasters or something. You need a foot pedal. You need a weird steering wheel. And this is something that plays perfectly well in MAME and could work on a MAME cabinet easily. But the cabinet's amazing looking. And that flight stick, it just, it really adds to the experience, I think. Yeah, everything seems to be done so well. The polish and everything Mm -hmm. comes together so nicely that I think it would be worth it to have the cabinet, even if the MAME experience is just fine. I completely agree. Well, the sun may have set on Twin Galaxies, but there's another high score webpage out there called champow.com. That'll show them. That's right. So that's kind of where I'm pulling our scores from now. I think actually these scores probably came from Twin Galaxies at one point. And let's talk about that. Karen, you played quite a bit more than I did this week. Obviously, uh, you beat me. Let's get it over with. Oh, see, but you say that. And then if I didn't beat you, then I'm a total sucker. And if I did beat you, then it's you've got this perfect excuse. You have played me this week, Mr. McGinnis. I always do, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as I said, I didn't get to the highest rank possible. So, alas, I didn't become a space admiral or whatever the, the highest rank was. Space Avenger. I did not become a space Avenger. But I did, however, become a space general. So I do expect you to salute me. If you are a lower rank, (laughs) the the best rank I got was uh, 22,100, which was on mission 16. 
Oh, well. Okay, not even close. I only played this long enough to get some sound samples. Got me to the second screen. I never got all the way through the all five stages. And that earned me a whopping 3,810 points. So you, so you clean my clock this time. Your clock is indeed very clean. The standing champion is John McCann. Oh, it's not me? <laughs> no, oh. you have a way to, ways to go, I think. <laughs> John scored 1,153,710 points. That's too much. That's too many points. I think you should give some to you and some more to me. There's so many other details about this game. Like, when it comes to the scores, here's something I didn't like about the game. Because I don't want to be all positive. I love, the, <laughs> I love the play. I love the look of it. I love the cabinet. I love the controller. I love the speech. So I'm pretty much loving everything about this game, right? So I, I try to think, well, what don't I like? You know what I don't like? I don't like the fact that when you get a high score, you don't get to put your initials in. We just played a game where I get to put my full name in, which was amazing. I could put the whole Carrington. And this time, all it does is you die. It just instantly ends and displays the high score list and says, there, that's what you got. That disappointed me. Oh, well, then the whole experience is ruined. Forget it. We hate this game. <laughs> nope. Now, this game as well, we didn't mention it, but you can put in more coins to start with and get extra players. So I always play with just one, and you get three lives, but I think you get two extra lives for every other coin you'll put in. I think that it's three extra lives. It gives Ooh, you six three? ships. Yep. Ooh, and that's three, it? There's three ships and six ships. And then I think, obviously, there are dip switch settings, I think, that can modify that, but the defaults are three ships and six. And, and on the high score page, it separates them, so you can't use six ships to beat your three, to beat somebody who got a high score on, on three ships. Ah, that makes sense. I do have a screenshot of my high score, too, so I'll post it on Twitter so everyone can see I beat you. That's not necessary. <laughs> I think it's not necessary, but it's so enjoyable. And then I will, I'm going to write my tweet in Gorfian language, and I'm going to put ha, 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 ha at the end of it. <laughs> It'll now, be awesome. Every time I see that tweet from you, I will hear that in my head. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Ha, 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 ha. I love this game, Mike. I love this game. Do you think you'll love next week's game? Nope. It's all going to be downhill from here. Well, let's give him a sample anyway. Oh, let's do it. Here you go. Since 2007, and the War of Six Planets. So we've been glowing effusively about Gorf for a few minutes now, and we hope, we hope to have another excellent gaming experience to bring back to everybody next week. Who knows? Yeah, well, that's true. It might be awful, and we might hate it, and I might just blame Carrington and the designer and <laughs> anger some more listeners. I'm going to say that it never existed, and then the designer will write in saying, I can prove it did, and I'll still say it didn't exist. <laughs> that's how I roll, baby. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a nice week. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter we are at No Quarter Show. All of those links plus the show notes are available at monsterfeet.com, and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain.
Space Cadet, Dior Pellet, Escape Hut, Dorfield, Robot Teller, or 